0: If you would take out the Word of God and turn to Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> we're going to look at uh, this cha- whole chapter today. We're going to summarize some sections. Uh, I do have to warn you, um, I realized early on that I needed to get married. Um, as a man, I needed to get married, but I need to do that early because I can't do a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I can't, uh, I I remembered uh, this morning that I can't fix a cup of coffee. Like, I've never made a pot of coffee. I'm not lying, I've never done that. Uh, I don't know that I've done laundry in 20 years. Um, And uh, I have six kids, and we decided early on, if animals can be trained to do things, kids can be trained to do those same things. And so our kids do so much around the house, and This weekend, Danae is away with uh, the girls, and Nathan, they're uh, away at a swim meet, and so she took the girls. I I realized that halfway through the weekend because most of the time when she's gone, the girls just step in and do whatever she does and fix coffee, things like fix coffee. Uh, And so I didn't have the the amount of coffee that I needed this morning when I got to church, and I realized my head was starting to hurt uh, in the greeting time. And so I went back to the coffee area, and um, I didn't even know how those things worked back there. Uh, People usually hand me cups of coffee. And so I was pouring hot water in a cup and doing all that, and I finally got a a cup of coffee, and before I was just going to down it, I I thought, this is too hot. So then Joe Martin gave me a can of Coke that I poured on top of the coffee, and I downed that. (laughs) I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of humanity, so I have half a a can of Coke and cup of coffee in me right now, and I could run through one of these walls in here. So, uh, pray, and I'll try not to preach so long, but uh, we're in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. The craziness has already started, so... If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And again, we come before the word of God as a church. We're, we're, we're not coming through, coming to the word, uh, give us some tips to make life easier or better. What, what we're saying to Jesus is what would you say to your church in these moments? What would you have us hear about yourself, your character? What would you have us do? How, how would you have us trust you? And we hear today from Acts chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. Hear the word of Christ. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Oh God, I pray that we would, we would understand what it means to, to see your word move in, into areas that, that are almost scandalous to us. And God, we would be those who, who rise to the occasion and who repent of, uh, of prejudice, repent of uh, putting up barriers that hinder the gospel. Because God, as we read, Jesus is Lord over over all. That, That he is king over everyone created in his image. And he has shed his blood for all men, no matter race, ethnicity. He has shed his blood for his church made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And God, I pray today as we see him move in this chapter, we would join him. We would get in on what he is doing among the peoples of the earth. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm not eating it. I'm not eating this stuff. I just can't do it. Danae and Wayne Cole, who some of you know, and myself, we had been invited Uh, to an apartment complex that was next to our church in Birmingham, Alabama, where we served, uh, I guess it was 17 years ago. And there was a family that lived there who had invited us over for dinner. And this family was from another ethnicity. They were from another culture. Uh, Only the kids in the home spoke broken English. And we had been out ministering in the community and we had built a relationship with this family and they wanted us to have us in their home for a meal, in their uh, one-bedroom apartment for a meal. And when we sat down and I I looked at the bowl in front of me, it was as if they had gone to the cabinets and just dumped everything into a pot of warm water. And then they, they set it before us. And and I looked into the bowl in front of me and there was something like a chicken bone that that floated up amongst cabbage and and lettuce that was there. And I thought, you know, I'm still going to try this. I've got to be okay with, with eating food from different cultures and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden a fish eye just floated to the top and sat there. And, and, and I, I leaned in, and I got a big whiff of the bowl and, and almost vomited on the table. And this, this, I mean, I'm from Tennessee. I was raised on fried chicken, cornbread, biscuits and gravy, uh, sweet tea. And, and when they said, we're going to have you over, those are the things that were in my mind, but that was not what was in front of me. And I looked at my wife, who she's just engaged in conversation. She's just loving it. And, and, and I looked at, at Wayne, my, my friend, and I said, I'm not eating this. And he's he, he still engaged with the conversation of the people before us. And, and, and with a smile on his face, he says, yes, you are. <laughs> and I said, no, you don't understand. I can't eat this. I've got to pour this out. And, and he, he whispered again with a smile on his face. He says, no, you're not. Eat to the glory of God now, and, and I just did. I just, I just held my nose, and I turned it up, and I ate, and, and, and to be honest with you, it was disgusting. It was not great. This isn't a story where you're going to go, oh, you engaged another culture, and it was awesome. No, that's not what happened. I thought it was horrible. And it prepared me for a moment where I sat down in a, a village in Peru some years later, and A sweet little family sat before me what looked like was a rat. (laughs) Still had hair on it. And I turned to the missionary and I said, are we eating rats? Like, what is this? And he said, no, it's a guinea pig. And I said, like a hamster? Like (laughs) the thing you get at the pet store? That's what this is? And he says, yes, it's a delicacy here. Eat up now. And and I've been in other situations like that where I've thought, what in the world is setting before me? In Peru, they have this thing called blood sausage, which is the intestines of an animal, and it's just soaked in blood. And I don't know what kind of blood. I don't know if it's healthy. I don't know if it kills you. I don't know, but I've eaten that before just to not offend people on the mission field and what we what we understand as we think about food food so often displays for us cultural barriers that are hard to cross we think about the Tower of Babel. I'm going to, we're, man said, I'm going to build a kingdom for ourselves. And God separates us in different languages that form, form cultures, and barriers are created. And within those cultures, there's food. And crossing those cultural lines, we see the differences in taste, we see the differences in diets, and food represents cultural barriers for us. And what we understand in the Bible is genuine fellowship is always displayed around food. Grannies, have y'all eat yet, has more to do about family than sustenance. We know that. But also the, I just can't eat this, has more to do about the barriers of race and sin than we would like to admit And when we come to the Bible, when there's a move into a new cultural area, there's always a discussion about food, about what's being eaten. And and we see this in the book of Acts, the next move in the witness of Christ who says, you're going to declare my kingship to the end of the earth, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now we're moving into Gentile territory and and we see this move is, is represented By fellowship around the dinner table. For this move of this witness of the gospel to be displayed, it is to happen not just in a baptismal pool, but around dinners, lunches, around fellowship, around meal, breakfast with fish was we see the gospel move into new areas. In chapter 9, we we got halfway through the chapter last week talking about the apostle Paul who's going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The, The chapter ends by displaying Peter's power. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. But he's also moving further and further away from Jerusalem. Peter... The rock upon whom Christ said, I'm going to build my church. He gives him the keys to the kingdom. He's now moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And he ends up at a place called Joppa, which is right next to Caesarea. Now, this would have been a port city. Uh, It would have been a military outpost. There would have been Roman government that had been headquartered there. And the Jews saw Caesarea as a place that they hated It represented Gentile culture, and it made them sick to their stomach to even go in this place. They hated it. They called it the daughter of Edom. It should have been cursed as an abomination. But we see Peter getting closer and closer to this city. And here we even see in Acts chapter 10, Peter at this time is living in the home of a tanner. Think taxidermy. He he is living in a tanner's home and everything about this home would have been unclean to Peter. There would have been dead animals hanging on the walls. There, There would have been skins everywhere. And there would have been food that if he had eaten the food would have made him unclean. But as Acts chapter 10 begins, we read in the first seven verses of a Roman soldier who's living in Caesarea, this place that Peter's getting closer to, who has a vision. Now this soldier would have been a very powerful man. He would have been over a hundred Roman soldiers. He, He would have probably heard of the crucifixion. He would have probably heard from some of his friends in Jerusalem about this Nazarene that was killed, about this revolt there. And this very powerful Roman soldier gets a vision from God. A messenger comes to him that says, I want you to go to this Peter who's leading this movement. I want you to send for him. And he's at a Tanner's house, by the way, down by the, down by the sea. And, and I want you to go to him. I want you to send for him because he has something to say to you. Yes, in Caesarea. And then we get down to verse 9. The next day, these, these are folks that the, the soldier has sent to get Peter. On their journey, they are approaching the city where Peter is. In verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And so here Peter is in this tanner's house, and he would have already eaten, but he gets hungry again. And, and, And I know the text says it's around lunchtime, but that's not when they ate. They, they would have eaten in the morning and he's waiting for another meal in the evening. And so it's odd that he gets hungry. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the top of this house to pray while my food is being prepared. You see, Peter, even in this home, would have had to have his food prepared in a, in a specific way. It would have had to been made ritually clean. And he goes into this trance and then this tarp or this canopy is, is, is brought out of the sky, out of, uh, of the air and it's coming toward him and in this sheet there are all kinds of animals, mixtures of, of reptiles and birds and they're in this canopy, canopy and they're floating toward him. Now this would have been a scandalous sight to him. As they are preparing his food, he sees a mixture of foods, Jew and Gentile foods, and they're all mixed together. And and, and this would have been disgusting for him. But notice verse 13. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, he'd never done anything like that in his life. This Jewish fisherman. Now he is to put his hands on unclean animals and he is to eat them. And then verse 14, Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never, ever eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. This whole scene would have been disgusting to him. The, the act of killing one of these animals that would have been rubbing up against unclean animals and eating it was wickedness to him. You see, God had separated Israel and the world from sin and death. They were to be a distinct people who were holy and they didn't touch anything unclean or unwhole. God in the beginning made everything and he made it good. And he made it whole and he made it clean. But sin comes into the world. And through sin, the curse of death and decay. And Israel was to be a people separated from sin. But also they weren't supposed to touch death and decay. And they were not by any means to eat anything that had been connected to death and decay. And here Peter sees this canopy with all of these clean and unclean animals all mixed together. And it would have been disgusting to him. But even more, there, there's a call for Peter with this sheet to, to, to not just see these foods and animals as clean, but the people they represent You see, for the Jew, as he thought about his diet, he could never eat with a Gentile. And if he did invite them into his home and, and they had clean food, ritually kosher clean food before them, He would never leave the Gentile alone with his food because he was scared he would breathe on it. And and cooking utensils that were used by Gentiles before a a Jew would never use them, they would burn them. Uh, Cows that were milked by Gentiles, the milk that came out would have been seen as unclean and you would never come near it. And so here what Peter is seeing is a mixture of culture, a mixture of food, and in this sheet there is a call to fellowship with those who are seen as unclean. And, and, he, and Peter says, I'm never going to do this. And God says, what, what, what God has made clean, never say is unclean. He's pointing to something that has reversed the curse of sin, that has reversed the curse of death, that will allow, that will even make the Gentile clean. And so he's not just saying, look at this food and declare it clean. He's saying the people represent it by this food. But, but you have to understand where he's coming from. He sees this. And for Peter, this call to eat and fellowship with the Gentiles, it would have been like to him eating a bedsheet full of cockroaches with rabid coyotes. See? He, he, he's not going to do that. This is scandalous to him. And, and yet we see Peter again, who always tells Jesus what he's not going to do. Peter, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised. No, you're not. No, you're not. Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. You're not touching my feet, Jesus. Well, if I can't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Get behind me, Satan. I will never deny you. Never, ever, ever. I mean, these morons, they're going to abandon you and betray you, but not me. I never knew him. And and notice what happens here. I will never eat with these people. And then notice how many times the sheep comes down. Three times. I never knew him. I never knew him. I never knew him. And then we think of the picture where Jesus, the the scene where Jesus restores Peter, and what does he say to him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I will never eat with these people. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Okay. I get the point. This is the three-time thing you do, Jesus. Now notice, as the text continues, God gives him an opportunity to flesh out this vision. And and, and he goes downstairs in this home, and there's a group of Gentiles there. Wow. He he walks down. Okay, here's the opportunity. And then they say, we're going to take you to a centurion's home, which would have been daunting and scandalous to him in Caesarea. This would have been a place where if Peter traveled to and visited, when he left, he would have washed his feet. And they say, we're going to take you there to this Roman soldier. And Peter, with seven other Jews, goes to this house full of Gentiles. And it's a four-day travel. So he's traveling for four days with these Gentiles. And then we get all the way down to verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them. And so these two visions are coming together in this encounter but also Cornelius is called all his close friends. I want you to hear from this guy, Peter, this Jewish fisherman about Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to come and hear from him. And then verse 25, Peter entered and Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, Romans would have seen any leader with authority almost as a god at times. And so he's respecting him. He could have heard about the miracles, the signs and wonders. And he sees Peter like a god. But notice what Peter does. He lifts him up. Now, most Jews would have reveled in that occasion. A Gentile soldier bowing at his feet. And he much less would have touched him. But he lifts him up. Instead of looking upon him as a dog that should have licked his feet, he lifts him up. And notice these powerful words. Stand up. I too am a man. I'm not a God. I'm just like you. There is a statement of equality here same standing before God, both created in His image, both sinners in the same need. And there is this amazing picture of of the humility of the gospel here as Peter says, No, stand. You're just like me. We're men. And this powerful Roman soldier bowing before this Jewish fisherman who does not use it for his advantage. It reminds us of Jesus who had all equality with God but did not use it for his advantage. He humbled himself to become a man, to, to be hung on a cross. And this is the humility of the gospel here in the life of Peter. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons. Now, Cornelius is like, we're having a party I got a vision. (laughs) I was praying, and I got a vision, and he calls all his friends over. Because I want you to see this, and I want you to hear what's about to happen. Verse 28, you yourselves know, this is Peter talking, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Back to the vision. It's not just the food and animals, it's the people. Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. After God got his point across, by the way. (laughs) And I asked then, why have you sent me? And so Peter says, guys, I got my Jewish friends here, and I'm in a house full of Gentiles. And y'all know this ain't right. Y'all know I'm not supposed to be here. Y'all know that I consider you guys dogs, unclean animals. And just, just the, 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 the dust flying around in this house makes me unclean. But God, but God is saying something different. And then we see in verses 30 through 33, Cornelius goes, Yeah, guys, he stands up and says, This is crazy. It's so crazy. There had to be an angel come and speak to me to send for this Jewish fisherman down by the sea in Caesarea, who was at a tanner's house. It's all confusing. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. But Peter, we're here to hear from you. Tell us what you've got to say. And we see verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. In seeing this vision and hearing the gospel and hearing from Christ over and over, he's gotten to a point where he understands that there is no partiality, no distinction in standing before God. All men created in his image with the same problem of sin and with the same solution for sin before God. And he says, verse 35, that in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Now, we almost see Peter sort of checking up here as he preaches. It sounds very generic, anyone who fears God and does what's right. and, and But we see he, he, he's talking to a man who's very religious. This soldier would have been religious, but he still needs a word from Jesus. He, he's talking, when he talks about doing what is right, we will later see people uh, Peter commanding the right thing is to bow to Jesus. But notice what he says here. God had separated Israel as this distinct humanity. When we read our Bibles, we hear hear Peter say there's no partiality. There has been partiality. Israel was to be different. They were to be a holy people, a distinct people, by the way they related to God and one another and even by what they ate. But now something has come along that changes all of that. There's something that is redeeming the curse. And the distinct people Israel was to highlight and point to is now people from all over. All over. They can all be made clean. There is no partiality. They can all be welcomed into God's family. And as we read earlier, Peter there stands up and preaches the gospel. I'm going to tell you how to fear the Lord. I'm going to tell you how to do what's right. And he says, you guys have heard, the rumors are out about John the Baptist, this bug-eating prophet down by the river, talking about the Holy Spirit coming, talking about a new kingdom. Well, that kingdom has come in Jesus, who was hung on a tree, who was killed. The the Jews said, king? Yeah, right. No way are you going to be our king. You are this pathetic, homeless prophet. And the Romans said, no way, no way it is this kingdom that you're talking about, this kingdom at hand and all of your little revolutionary, no way that's going to take over. And they hung him on a tree as a blasphemer, as a criminal. And yet God raised him up. And notice how Peter, as we read earlier, describes proof of the resurrection. You want to, you want to tell you how We know Jesus is back from the dead because we had breakfast with him. We sat around a campfire and ate fish with him. He brought us in to fellowship with him around a meal. But we're here to tell you this Jesus back from the dead. He is king of every man and every man must bow before him. And any man who believes in him, who trusts in him, he says, will have forgiveness of sins will have their sins washed away. He looks in the eyes of Gentile men and women who he would see as unclean. And he says, I'm here to tell you something that's going to make you clean. And it's the blood of Jesus. What an amazing episode. But notice as we continue, verse 44, while Peter was saying these things, the text wants us to understand that God interrupted him. He's preaching and he doesn't even get to just as I am. The Peter's, uh, or the Spirit steps in as Peter is preaching here. While he is preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on those who had heard. So you imagine, you don't even get to close out the sermon. You think, I have an amazing conclusion today. And everybody just starts... Speaking in tongues, signs and wonders. But no, 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 I want to get to the response time. It's really good. Notice verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Notice, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Remember all the way back to Jerusalem, as Peter is preaching there, the disciples are those who are speaking in other languages and everybody is understanding their languages. And so here Peter's preaching, and the same thing happens in the house of a Gentile. There there is a part two to Pentecost among the Gentiles, and it represents the Spirit of God falling down upon them. And notice, then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who receive the Holy Spirit? Notice, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he stayed there for some days. Notice that represents the fellowship that they now have in Christ, that he continues to stay in this home, continues to share the gospel with them. But but we see this is something Jesus has done. He promised to Peter You are Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And when Peter heard that in Matthew 16, he probably wasn't thinking about this. He was probably thinking of First Baptist Jerusalem with a bunch of Jews, And now he's out in Caesarea with a bunch of Gentiles who have received the kingdom. And the kingdom is at hand in the proclaiming of the gospel. The the, the signs of the Spirit are there. And and we see throughout this text that to get Peter there, all kinds of things have to happen. Visions, angels, he falls in a trance. Jesus has to, to usurp everybody's authority in this narrative to get to this point. In the same way the sheet had fallen before his eyes, the spirit falls on these people. And there is a canopy that is now covering both Jew and Gentile in this home. And this would have been a scandalous thing for Peter to go, now we gotta baptize them. Now think about, think about what that presented for the Jew. Okay, Peter, where are we gonna do it? Over here in Cornelius' bathing area, his swimming pool out in the middle of the front of his house, whatever it is. We're going to get in this font. And the Jew's going, no, 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 no. We can't get in the same water as a Gentile. There's no way we're doing that. Yeah, you are. Yeah, baptize them to the glory of God now. And, and they wade into this baptismal pool and, and, and this pool of water that the Jew would have said, This thing needs to be drained before I get into it. We need some sacrificial blood of goats and lambs to to clean this thing before I get into it. They wade out into this pool and they begin to baptize these Gentiles as a sign that the gospel is moving, as a sign that the Spirit is baptizing. And they are saying in this baptismal pool, We are all clean in Jesus. We have all been washed by the blood of Jesus. That's why we read in Matthew chapter 28 where baptism is so important. It it is a sign, it is the flag that God is putting in the ground throughout the world to say, here is my church, my spirit is coming down, my spirit is immersing, my spirit is overwhelming, my spirit is making clean all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. Here Jesus puts a flag in the ground in Cornelius' living room. You see, this is a sign of the gospel. We talk about that all through Acts. What are the signs? Here the sign is Jew and Gentile standing in the baptistry together. That's a sign the gospel is moving. In the temple in Jerusalem, there would have been different areas. You would have had the priests. you would have had the Jews, you would have had the Gentiles, you would have had the slaves, you would have had the outcasts, you would have the poor. And there were all kinds of different categories that people were, were to be in. And here in these waters, what God is saying is, no, they're all welcomed into the living room. They're all welcomed into the Holy of Holies. They're all in Jesus Christ welcomed into my presence. My temple is made up of Jew and it's made up of Gentile who believe in my name. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus endured the wrath, the hostility between man and God. And now the hostility between man, Jew and Gentile has subsided. We're all a part of the same family. What a glorious picture of, of the gospel here. It is the cross that has said what was unclean is now clean. But as we make a few points of application here, first of all, we, we see with Peter, the more he follows Jesus, things just get more complicated. They don't get easier for him. See, we think about the call of the gospel, everything's going to get easy, it's going to be less complicated. No, it gets really Sticky for Peter, the more he follows Jesus. Race relations in the church were barbaric. You've got to understand, these people saw it as an act of worship to hate one another. They saw, if I hate a Gentile, that's pleasing to God, to hate them. The the Gentile said, if I hate the Jew... That I'm doing something good in the world. Whether that was right or wrong or biblical, according to the law, that's the way they saw themselves. And God could have in these moments, get this, He could have said, y'all just have Gentile church and y'all just have Jew church. I'll save you both. But y'all don't have to go to church together. But what does God do in the New Testament? He just keeps tangling everybody up. He just keeps making it more and more complicated for the church. That's why every letter in the New Testament is written about race problems in light of the gospel. You don't come across any New Testament letter that doesn't address the issue of Jew and Gentile and how they're to get along. Why is that? Well, you do have questions like, how are we going to do potlucks now? And You've got Jews going, can I have some of that? I've never tasted that stuff. They got to figure that out. Think about the Lord's table today, what it would have been like in the early church. You're going to let a Gentile touch it? You're going to let him touch the bread I'm supposed to eat? You better burn those things. Just think about the complications that diversity in the early church would have caused. We're going to let a Gentile be on staff? Am I going to go to a church where a Gentile is a preacher? I mean, think about all the ways in which the gospel complicates things. I've seen that in, in the life of Ashland over the last 14 years. I'll never forget, we started having a large group of international students coming to the church and then reaching refugees there. And there's like 30 different nations represented every Sunday at the church in Lexington. And I'll remember, we we have this thing every year. It's called a men's shootout. And you go and you shoot clays, um, not clays, but clays, (laughs) the disc. And I'll never forget a guy coming up to us and going, are we going to let these foreigners shoot guns? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Uh, Go see the men's ministry and sort that out, but just think about that. Think about the complications. And I'll never forget we had a, there they have um, a Thanksgiving meal, international meal, and there's like uh, 400 people that show up, uh, 30 different ethnicities, cultures, languages, represent people from all over the world. And we we had asked one of the the older men in the church, he was going to be at a table full of men from the Middle East. And... You could tell he was very uncomfortable about this. Men who after the dinner, he said, I'm supposed to hate them. I've just been, I just thought I was supposed to hate them. But I love them. <laughs> and, and I've had a meal with them. And do you see how things get uncomfortable and complicated? And, and here's what the world tells us. Here's what the culture says. It's not supposed to be complicated. Just love everybody. Love everybody. Tolerate everybody. It's not, you, you just get over it. No, 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 no. As the church, we go, it's really complicated. And we know it's complicated. And we're not just going to look past the complications because that minimizes the gospel. It minimizes the gospel. This isn't some namby-pamby, everybody just get along and forget about your differences. You know, the sort of tolerating one another where I want to appreciate your culture, you appreciate my culture, and we really don't appreciate anything because we, we water it down so much we really don't know anything about each other. That's not what he's calling for here. He's saying, no, you are very, 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 Different, and you should hate each other. But now you're family, by the blood of Christ, and that maximizes the gospel. That maximizes the power of the Spirit. And one of the problems in our culture is we are driven by the internet. We're driven by social media, and we have such tuned versions of everybody. All millennials, they're all lazy. They all live in their parents' basement. And they're just there for free insurance. We have this cartoon version. All Democrats, they are feminists. They, they eat kale and they drive a Prius and they take selfies at yoga once or twice a week. And we have this cartoon version. All Republicans... They are these bloodthirsty, gun-toting. They got number three on the back of their muddy four-wheel drive in memory of Dale. And, and, And that's how we have this cartoon version of everybody. And what we do is we fight against those cartoon versions. We take the worst of everybody else and we yell and we scream at the worst version. And all foreigners, all immigrants, they're all terrorists. And we, we, we have this cartoon version that we yell and we scream at. Here's something that's ironic. I've been called a racist because I'm conservative in my political leanings. I've been called a racist for that, which is very ironic if you know me. And on the same day, I'm not kidding, on the same day, I was called a liberal because I spoke against racism. But uh, that's not a joke. That's happened to me on the same day, just because I said something negative about racism. Oh, you're just like all the liberals, all the other liberals. And what? You probably voted for Hillary. And just, what are you talking about? And you know why that happens? Because I'm just a cartoon version. And people have had to put me in a category that they can yell at and scream at. And it's a problem with our culture. Let me say this. Picking sides is easy. Picking sides is easy. Loving one another for the sake of the gospel is really hard. And it's really difficult. But it's what God calls us to do here. Gospel-driven diversity isn't weak. It's the same sort of strength that Jesus displayed when he died for his enemies. And we, we die for those we consider our enemies. We serve those we should hate. And we say all of my prejudice against you was crucified on the cross. And we're not just weak tolerating. Don't. No, that's not what we're doing. We are serving and we are suffering past differences because that's what Jesus did for us. The Spirit here calls Peter to repent of thinking he is losing something. Oh God, don't you know about my heritage? Oh, you have a better heritage now. Don't you know about my identity? I've never eaten anything unclean. Oh, you have a better identity now. And he calls us to make much of that even with our differences. We don't whitewash our differences. Jesus is on a mission to make much of himself by even highlighting our differences. Yes, you are who you are. And now you're a redeemed version of who you are. And because you're a redeemed version of who you are, you can love people you should hate who are not like who you used to be and and, and who who have all kinds of cultural differences. You can eat kale with your brother. You can eat guinea, guinea pig with your church family in Peru. And you can eat venison with your church family that just went out and killed 10 deer this winter. You can do that. You, you You can gather together as family because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing. At some point, our gospel convictions have to move from this abstract version of just, yeah, that's what the Bible says, to reality. I grew up in churches or church in the 70s and 80s that sent tons of money to africa for missionaries there through the international mission board sent tons of money there but would tell black folks in our community y'all just worship over there we do it different here birds of a feather flock together do you understand that that's where the gospel remains abstract when you come in and you're uncomfortable because of your differences but you love jesus together that makes much of the gospel and that's what God calls us to do as a church. And so a question for you today is, what relationships will you pursue that will make you uncomfortable? Think about this. And I'm not talking about just inviting those folks here. Because we walk around and we go, why don't they like being here? Well, I have hundreds of white reasons why they're uncomfortable. Hundreds. But, but that's not the question. The why they're not coming here is because they know we're scared to go there. They know it's easier for us to say, y'all come here, y'all come here. And and, and what Peter is, is he's drug kicking and screaming into another culture for the glory of God. And so the question for you is, who are you going to befriend for the sake of the gospel that's different from you? That's from another part of the world. Who are you going to invest in? What peoples are you going to pray for? Who are you going to invite into your home and say, hey, you bring the food and we'll eat in my home? Like, When is that going to happen in your life? You know, five years ago, we were much less diverse than we are right now. And, and even as I was preparing this, I, I flipped over to Facebook a few times and I just saw pictures of people from our church that were treating people from other parts of the world like they were their granddaughters out shopping with them yesterday. I I was blown away and so thankful that we're headed in that direction. And and the question for you is, are you going to get in on it? And here's where it starts. This will only happen when you remember you are the Gentile. Not just culturally, because most of us are, but you are the Gentile, unclean and separated from God. And to God... You you would have been scandalous and disgusting, like a sheet of unclean animals was to Peter. And what did he do? He sent his son who declares to you, I will become just a man. Like Peter who says, I'm a man too. Jesus walks on this unclean earth as just a man. And he says, here, you come and you sit at my table because of my blood shed for you on the cross Here, you know what Jesus says to us? Take my flesh and eat it. Because it's what makes you clean. Whether you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. And those who are hated by Jesus are now brothers seated at his table. And what's more scandalous for some of us today is we go, I just can't. I just just can't take part of this meal.